Well, we're getting down to the short rows on the Ohio State basketball regular season. Gene Smith says interesting things about name, image, and likeness playing in the cold and the expansion of the college football playoffs. And oh, yeah, a Michigan man, a Michigan man got in trouble on national television. LOL. We'll talk about that and more in this edition of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance along with Johnny Ginner. Oh, Johnny, where to start this week? So many fun things to talk about. Let's uh, let's dive in with some interesting things from Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith. Gene met with the members of the press last week and talked about a veritable cornucopia of topics. Uh, picking one at random, let's, uh, let's talk about Mean Gene's perspective on Starting the college football playoff expansion process, uh, we learned last week that that's not going to happen as soon as some folks had hoped. But but also another thing I think a lot of us were looking for is whether or not this new alliance, if you will, between the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 would yield a change in scheduling. Uh, turns out that that's not happening either. How do you feel about Ohio State and the Big Ten sticking with a nine-game conference schedule and not seeing a regular every-season cross-promotional scheduling opportunity with the ACC and the Pac-12? Well, I I mean, I like the cross-promotional stuff. I think that's fun in basketball. And and even, I mean, obviously in, you know, any sport, I enjoy it. So I, I it, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, hockey, I I don't care what form it takes i think that's a cool approach to to scheduling and um i don't know i it, it, i would i would like to see it prioritized that's that's what i would say about that i was really um one who initially liked the nine game schedule uh, of of the conference because it in theory is one less chance to play you know, uh, sisters of the blessed poor or some other, some, sure. some a second Mac team or whatever is no, no shade to the Mac, but I, I don't need to spend two of the non-conference games every year. We used to see two, you know, kind of payday type games. You'd have one marquee game and then somewhere, maybe somewhere in the middle. Mm. Uh, I, I don't care about those games. I, I want to see Ohio state playing power five teams. And that was one of the, to me, one of the attractions of this alliance between the conferences was maybe moving into playing a Pac-12 or ACC opponent every year. Right, that's not going to happen now. So I don't love that. I'm and I I struggle with seeing big picture. What is the point of this alliance? There are definitely things in the margins that have have you know made this alliance worthwhile, so to speak. But on the whole, I, you know, this is one of those big picture things I thought would be a real a real component of those conferences being in alignment in theory. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, I think in this era of college sports, you have to come up with some outside of the box ideas, right? And I like keeping everything in conference has its own appeal. You know what I mean? When you're talking about, especially early season games, I think that's a lot of fun too, you know, and the novelty of, of being able to start your season uh, against a Big Ten opponent is kind of cool. I enjoy that. But honestly, I think now, especially, when the Big Ten is kind of renegotiating their contracts, you know what I mean? Like, the, it just seems like a weird way to, A, take away some of the juice that you can maybe generate. And also, it kind of like, it seems like you're giving away a bit of a bargaining chip almost. Because you can go to some of these networks and go, well, we're going to, this isn't just going to be in the Midwest footprint, right? We, we have the chance, we have the opportunity to expand the viewership for many games a year. 
to a much larger audience nationally. So I, it's just, I don't know. It feels a little regressive, I guess is what I'm saying. It, it, it does not seem to be creative or, or it, it seems to be basically, you know, pulling back on some of that creativity that I think is really needed right now um, when it comes to scheduling. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Uh, and and that you, you called it regressive that moving backwards in a lot of ways, it, it has felt in recent years, like the sport is, is moving forward and being very progressive. If we talk about NIL, if we talk about, yeah. um, you know, the, the, the playoff in general, we talk about some of the things that have happened with the transfer portal, uh, player mobility, you know, certainly that's changed the game and, and, probably in more positive ways than negative. And we'll talk more about that in a second, but in some ways, you know, the, the intransigence of athletic directors and, and these conferences has been a little frustrating. This, this is one. Also the news last week came that uh, the college football playoff will not expand beyond four teams until at least 2026. Now in scheduling terms, you know, 2026 isn't that far away. Really. You're talking four years, but there had been, it felt like a movement that, that there was some broader shared feeling that the playoff needed to expand sooner would be rather better than later. Um, I, you know, and, and now, now it's not happening. Should I be frustrated about that? And, and, uh, spoiler alert, I am, but, mm-hmm. but <laughs> should, should I be, uh, yeah, I mean, not why? Yeah, no. Cause if you're a fan and you're, you enjoy the playoff or that you let me put it this way. I know there are a lot of people who look at the playoff and go, you know, four is fine. And I've heard the argument. I've seen the argument many times that uh, more games in the playoff is not going to guarantee anything in terms of like the quality of games or anything like that. It's just going to be more crappy games, blah, 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 whatever. And it doesn't solve the issue of deciding who gets in and who doesn't. But if you're not on that side of the argument, which I am not, I, I think that a games are going to be bad or good, no matter who's playing who, you know, that's not, there's no guarantee of that in college football. I, I think you're just going to have to you know, accept that that that's part of the chaos of the game. And also I would say that trying to decide between who's ranked number four versus who ranked number eight is a vastly different conversation, but regardless it's frustrating because again, this is along the same lines that they want to maintain the status quo as much as possible. And I think right now, and the reason why I bring it back a little bit to um, contracts, you know, television contracts, broadcasting rights, all that kind of stuff is because I think college sports in general, and especially college football, which is of course a huge money generator, um, is in a transitory period right now where they're they are looking for consistency and safety and they don't want to do anything that might upset the apple cart such as it is right because you've got um you know football games that are getting less viewership you're getting lower attendances at games you're competing with an nfl that's super resurgent right now and i think you know really starting to dominate the conversation in in terms of football specifically. Um, I I just, I don't think they're willing to take too many chances right now because they, they want to stick with what they perceive works. And because of that, they don't really care so much about competitive balance or, you know, diversity of games and and a playoff or anything like that, because that's not, I don't think that's a conversation that these guys look at and go, okay, well, you know, this is going to help us out a lot. 
right? Because this is this is going to get more viewership. I don't think they look at it that way. I think they say, look, this is what we have, and we don't want to change it because we we're afraid of it getting worse. Um, and that's, I think that's an argument that I've seen again from people just in terms of the quality of games. But I don't know, man. It, it's frustrating because to me, I feel they're going to punt this to 2026. And then when they come back and try to talk about it again, it's going to, the, the conversation is going to take the exact same route. You know what I mean? Like, unless we have, you know, what, 2023, 2024, 2025, 2026, next four, you know, championships are SEC versus SEC. Unless that happens, I'm pretty sure the conversation is going to play out exactly the way it did in 2022. Um, so that's unfortunate. And, and I think it's, it's going to keep this thing at four for a long time. It's interesting to see how the different partisans line up on this, you know, what the, what the SEC wants and, you know, ACC commissioner, Jim Phillips uh, was one of the most outspoken opponents to the co- current push to to move forward and mm-hmm. and a lot of what he talked about was you know that we ought to wait to see how all of these changes to our sport shake out so in other words right. nil and and the transfer portal and so on and, and and not to mention of course the sec poaching a couple of teams away from the big 12 and sure. the, the uh attendance shake up in conferences so so let's okay but, let's but, let the water but then when settle. has it been shaken right what when has it been shaken out when has the, the shaking happened yeah, when apparently, they decide uh, apparently four years from now <laughs> this, yeah this, we're apparently going to let it you know because and then the interesting thing about that is does the dust ever really settle which is what you're asking is, yes. is you know isn't it just always perpetually dusty uh in in this sport and, and there again, you know, the three holdouts of back to taking this back to our conversation a second ago about the, the alliance, the three nay votes on the 12 team proposed expansion were the ACC, the PAC 12 and the big 10. So I guess that answers mm-hmm. my question previously about what's the point of this alliance. Oh, it's to vote each vote, vote to, together at these big conference meeting. Now that said, big 10 commissioner, Kevin Warren said the big 10 conference to be clear supports expansion of the college football playoff system. And Gene Smith, uh, when asked, also said, I'll be surprised if we don't go to 12 teams at some point. He said, I think there's things that just need to get solved and worked out. Um, yeah, he says, I th- and I, I thought this was interesting. I just think we got to keep working through these little interests that each conference has. That's a, that's a fun way to put that, you know, but he, but he did rightfully say it's a negotiation and it's just going to keep happening for four more years. Right. Apparently. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's just to me, it just feels like an absolute punt and and to really just kind of acquiesce to, yeah, you know, what the SEC wants. And it, really, I'm not going to even say that that's just them. I think the Big Ten is. is oh, no, I like to blame. I, I like to blame the SEC. It's great. Yeah, it's fun. But I also I, I think that, you know, the Big Ten is just as complicit in keeping this back as as anyone else, despite, you know, Gene Smith's, you know, statements to the contrary i I don't i don't really believe that i think if that's something that they wanted to push for or even think about they could have done that um but i don't you know it's the thing is the goal here right in in my eyes for expanding the playoff is that we want ultimately more teams to have a shot at a national championship and i don't think it's a terrible argument against that that there is so much disparity in college football right now that you can expand it to a hundred teams, right? You're really going to still end up with Alabama and some other variation of Ohio state, LSU, Clemson, et cetera, Georgia, you know, whatever. 
Um, and that that speaks if that's the case, if that really is the case. And then I think that speaks to some larger issues within the sport. Um, and I don't know how you even address that. And, and so when Gene Smith's like, OK, well, we got to wait till this all shakes out with NIL. Uh, I think it's just going to exacerbate. I don't I don't know that that's going to decrease the likelihood that we get the exact same result in terms of who's the top four teams every year. Uh, and that's that's the bigger issue that needs to be addressed. And, and I would hope that something like, you know, expanding the playoff would would do that. But I, I don't I'm not really convinced of that anymore. Now, Gene Smith uh, also talked about name, image and likeness. So talking about some of these things that need to settle uh, in the dust settling that uh, Phillips referred to in his comments and, and Gene mm-hmm. echoed in his. Uh, the question is, NIL seems to be working to benefit at least some athletes in Ohio State, specific athletes, maybe more so than your average D1 college football player. Uh, but but is the system working as well as it should or could? Uh, Gene talked about the possible need for some national regulation. My question on that front is, isn't the genie already out of the bottle? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yes, <laughs> the answer is yes. I I'm just not sure, you know, when he talks about the need potentially for the NCAA, uh, or some other hypothetical national regulatory body to get involved here. I'm, I'm not clear how they're going to get, how they're going to pull this thing back in, you know, the concern being, the the concern being, you know, that, that this, that NIL is going to be used as a recruiting inducement. And and of course, everybody is going to try to use it as a recruiting inducement. It's skirting the laws and rules that exist as closely as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, Smith said last week, he doesn't think NCAA NCAA legislation is the answer for regulating NIL, but that with varying NIL laws already in place for more than half the states, some federal legislation may be needed to properly regulate NIL in college sports. Um, Congress certainly has more important issues to deal with. He acknowledged that, but it, it, you know, I always get a little twitchy whenever Congress (laughs) convenes a blue panel. But what uh, are you, I mean, what are they even going to regulate? Like, I don't understand. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how, if, if the NCAA is cool with this, I mean, there's nothing illegal happening here. Uh, I understand that things sometimes, you know, Congress has stepped in for things like competitive uh, viability with, with things like baseball, for example, they've, they've, you know, held hearings and done things like that, but I just, I don't, I don't see the utility here and you're going to, that's what I mean by thinking out of the box. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm talking about because you can't, you can't just keep doing the same thing that you've been doing and expect a different result when it comes to, uh, you know, monetiz- the monetization of the sport, but really just kind of the control that you exert over the sport. Like, first of all, you have to decide how much you actually want to do, right? And, and how much you're capable of doing. Because at, at this point, it really does feel like the wild, wild west. And there's really like the NCAA, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like the, a babysitter leaving four or five-year-olds alone in the house <laughs> with matches and then coming back four hours later and being like, Oh my God, how do we unburn this house down? Like, you yeah. know, right. like you can't, you can't, you, it's not just that you can't put the genie back in the bottle. You, you, you are trying to exert control over a situation that you've really abdicated all responsibility of. Like you can't walk that back. Um, you can only come up with different ideas to kind of direct it, but I just, 
like I said, I don't, I don't know what the future looks like, but it's not going to look anything like it did in the past. You, you can't undo a lot of this stuff. I think what they ultimately want to try to figure out, they, in this case, being the various conferences, the NCAA, the athletic directors, I think they ultimately want to figure out how to do some sort of collective bargaining, some sort of, of group bargaining, while also, by the way, not admitting that the players are anything remotely resembling employees. They want to try to, to, yeah. to strike that balance. I think part of the reason they want uh, to see potentially some federal legislation aside from harmonizing the, you know, patchwork of, of state laws regulating or regarding NIL it would, would be to have some sort of uh, antitrust exemption that would allow schools or conferences or whomever have you to do a collective kind of bargaining deal with the student athletes while also keeping up this veil um, of, of amateurism and not just saying, yep, they're employees, let's unionize them so we can bargain with them the way the NFLPA does or right. the way the NBA Players Association does and so on. That's what's missing between the way the, professional ha- the professionals handle this money uh, to an extent and the way the college, they, they don't have the ability to do you know, that, that sort of collective rights deal on on some of the things that they could be doing with nil yeah it's interesting like because something like that some kind of collective bargaining if, if that it were able to exist right hypothetically group that licensing would, that would, i guess maybe would maybe be even a better way to describe what i'm talking about but it's all yeah. part of the it's all part of the the package right but that's what i'm saying right it would it would provide a framework you know what i mean that that yeah. does not currently exist and ironically you know you t- you go back and you think about what northwestern tried to do several years ago right and how it was just you know people balked at that and it was seen as this you know kind of pie in the sky well that might actually be the best move forward at this point um if you want to bring some kind of sanity or, or consistency to what's to what's going on um it's just a fascinating time and you know when we're talking, you know, we may look at this 15, 20 years in the future and go, this is, this is the turning point for college sports just in general. But uh, I have no idea what that point, I don't know what that hinge is. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know where the, the break is. I don't know where the, the turn is going to lead us at this point. And that's kind of fascinating. That, that's the fun part about it. Um, I don't think college sports are going to disappear or anything like that, but it's, it's going to be vastly different than it was in the past. One of the things that came up last week as part of the several comments that Gene Smith made on a variety of topics, including NIL, was if the college football playoff expands, one of the proposals would have teams playing the first round of the playoffs on college campuses instead of in, uh, say, a New York Six bowl game, uh, as has been the case with the current playoff iteration. I think a lot of us as fans really like the idea of seeing playoff games played in college stadiums the college campus yep. stadium experience is part of the magic of college football not so fast says gene smith and what i thought was one of the great unforced pr error errors of the year of the year 2022 already smith said uh he didn't necessarily think ohio state should be hosting college football playoff games in winter weather mm-hmm. in ohio stadium to which i say huh <laughs> <laughs> Well, wait a minute, though. Is it that? Here's the thing, because I'm I'm on your side. Like, I I, I think it's insane not to. I very much want to see Alabama playing in the horseshoe. Yeah, in, I do too. In I December, too. in the snow. 
I need this yes, in my that, life. That would be very funny to me. And it should, it should happen. And I'm sorry. I've, I've seen so many people talk about like, well, the turf is terrible. Wow. I, sh- shut up. <laughs> I just think, you can figure it out. They can figure I, it out in freaking Minnesota. Right. And they have a yes. decent playing cert. They can, yes. they can do it here. In if, Columbus. if, if Michigan beats Ohio state, like it did last year, I by God want to see Georgia playing in the snow in and yes. freaking Arbor. I, I, I want to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm 100% with you on that. However, however, the other person who might agree with what Gene Smith is saying is head coach of Ohio state football, Ryan day, because he wants a fast track on an indoor field where quarterbacks don't have to worry about the conditions or the wind or any of that other stuff. And his guys can throw for 500 yards and six touchdowns in a game. And in that sense, I can very much understand why Gene Smith would want to accommodate a guy like Ryan day, who probably prefers not have to not have to worry about that stuff um, for his, for his optimal offense to be run. So in that case, I can understand why they might prefer a non-outdoor environment. Now, as a fan, you know, you should be able to win in any environment. But if you're a coach and you're looking for every competitive advantage, I get it. I get it. Um, but, yeah, I would still like the the outside game. But, I, you know, Ryan Day probably disagrees. I think it's uh, part of the reason I called it one of the great unforced PR errors of the year. Number one, he said it about 15 minutes before the news broke that playoff expansion didn't happen anytime soon. So who right. cares? Because it's not happening anytime soon. Uh, on the other hand, I also look and say, you know, you probably shouldn't poo poo the idea of playing games in the snow uh, a couple months after <laughs> your marquee team in your athletic department lost a big game oh, sure, yeah. in the snow. You know, well, not as they say these days, a good look. And then to your point, though, like if he knows, I I mean, obviously Gene Smith knows that they're not going to go for expansion of the playoff. So why not use that as an opportunity just to dunk on Southern teams? Yeah. Right. Say whatever you want, you know, regardless of how you feel, just say, say whatever you want. Be like, oh, well, they're they're too afraid to come up here. (laughs) Like, say that. Who cares? It doesn't, you know, like it doesn't matter, obviously. So just go ahead and say, like, you know what? Bama's afraid. How about that? They're scared. Georgia's scared. They're all scared, <laughs> but I, I guess this comes back to what you said a moment ago. This, you know, the, the comments here that they didn't really maybe come from Gene Smith. This is Gene Smith, uh, carrying water for Ryan day. Yeah. And, and I, and I suppose the logical follow-up question there is, you know, a lot of the discussion has been, well, 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 it certainly is not like, you know, fire day <laughs> type of talk, mm-hmm. uh, around people when you read comments on whether it be our stories or on the social media channels and so on there, there is a lot of chatter about this idea that Ohio state is, you know, in essence, a glorified big 12 team or that we're damn near an air raid team, or uh, we're not, we're not tough as evidenced by the fact that you lost to Michigan in the snow and got all tough to the process. And Michigan's coaches actually, you know, called out how soft the team was and, and so on and, and so forth. Is there any, is there any ring of truth to any of those online man shouting about things into the void grievances, uh, or is it all just online, extremely online people shouting at clouds on the internet? (laughs) 
I don't know. Well, I mean, I think it can be both, right? Like there's, there's always, you know, it feels like, I don't know. It feels like sometimes there's an elementary, sometimes there's not. It's, it's hard to parse. I don't know. How do you feel about, how do you feel about it? Because some, sometimes I just, I don't, I get my dander up and I want to believe the narrative. And then other times I'm like, no, this is stupid. Yeah. I was looking, I saw, and I wish I could remember, I need to start writing these down when I see somebody tweet something interesting that I end up referencing later on the show. And I was like, gosh, I remember, wish I could remember who, who said that. Um, but they actually referred back to the stats of, you know, how often Ohio state ran the ball versus mm -hmm. passing it. Yes. Ohio state is passing 500 yards a game, but I can also think of more than a few times, especially in games that Ohio state lost down the stretch, uh, or games where Ohio state appeared to struggle down the stretch mm -hmm. where I was saying, well, even in their Rose bowl victory, where there was there was an attempt afoot to rush the ball and it wasn't working right and it was just like my god just throw it to jsn or oh just yes. throw it to garrett wilson just stop. what are you doing <laughs> like don't be cute just throw the damn ball you know right. so where many many other times in history you know we were maybe saying just run the ball just run the yeah, ball exactly just, just give the ball to hide you know and just be done with it right um i i don't think this is an air raid team right i think the reason that the narrative was what it was last year in particular is because the defense stunk so bad right but so so it was easy to say oh my god this is a big 12 team because mm -hmm. they just throw you know or you're you're well, comparing to oklahoma to an oklahoma team um yeah. because they were throwing the ball all over the place and their defenses were barely serviceable here's so, here's the thing because because I, I in the heat of the moment like i said in the heat of the moment you get your dander up you you see what's on social media you're like oh god they're right and you're watching it on tv and you get pissed and it's, it's easy to kind of get swept up in that. Here's what I'll also say, though, when, especially with regards to using the term air raid, right? That always has an unsaid uh, insult, which is that you don't, you're not playing defense. You know what I mean? Like, you have to do the air raid because you can't stop another team. So you have to try to outscore them. And because that has a kernel of truth for Ohio State football in the past couple of years, I think that's why it, it, it becomes more of a, a thing that people will talk about and say and imply, because if Ohio state has this lockdown, you know, shutdown defense, it doesn't really matter how much they're throwing the ball versus running the ball. Cause they're going to win regardless. Cause they'll have a really good offense and a defense that, you know, mitigates anything that another offense might try to do. So they don't have that. They, they do have to kind of score their way out of games. Um, and and thus, you know, the the backhanded compliment of, hey, wow, you guys really throw the ball around. How about that? Um, so I don't know. I, I think that's part of it. Another piece of the discussion about the college football playoff and uh, the various uh, attendant issues with that. You mentioned earlier the rights deals for the playoff coverage, of course, that that uh, several billion dollars. But also Ohio State's um, uh, Big Ten conference money could be much larger when the Big Ten renegotiates its rights contracts and rights agreements. The uh, conference is currently in um, the exclusive window with ESPN to negotiate for renewing their rights deal. But according to Sports Business Journal, um, the conference is expected to allow ESPN's exclusive window to end so it can take its rights to the open market. Not clear exactly when that window ends, but um, sources told 
SBJ that they expect the Big Ten to secure new TV deals before the fall semester. Now, mm-hmm. to put this all into context, uh, one of the big pieces, of course, of the Big Ten's rights deal is its relationship with Fox Sports. Uh, of course, their partner in the Big Ten network. Fox's rights are currently about $2.64 billion uh, six-year deal, so pays out about $440 million annually. The conference could reportedly command fees of up to $1.1 billion a year, according to another report from Front Office Sports, because NBC is preparing to make a major push for a media rights deal. What I find really interesting about all this, Johnny, is, is number one, you know, Jim Delaney really set up the Big Ten for success when it comes to making oh, yeah. obscene amounts of money on television, you know, going back to rolling the dice with ESPN and going out and starting the Big Ten Network with Fox, you know, that really set the standard for how these negotiations would go. Um, but now you look and say, here you have the Big Ten, who, because the the cozying up of the SEC with ESPN, you have CBS, who is potentially looking at spending real adult money because they'd mm-hmm. like to have something other than the token games that they get um, from from the SEC deal. You've got right. NBC now. The NBC needs needs Big Ten sports. What I find really interesting about this and what I want to talk about mm-hmm. is what does this all say about the state of live sports and television? It felt like a few years ago as we all were cutting the proverbial, well, in this case, literal cords uh, and moving away from watching our favorite program on a traditional cable or broadcast outlet. And we were going to be watching it on the streaming or that streaming and so on. Mm-hmm. And yet here we have TV deals potentially worth a billion dollars a year for a single sports conference. Is, is cord cutting dead or is this just a sign of these, um, these broadcasters embracing their own various streaming networks, like in the case of NBC, Peacock, uh, right. and, and, and you may need to become a subscriber to Peacock to watch OSU versus Rutgers in 2028. Yeah, I think I think the latter is is more likely. Just the fact that they've created their own streaming services and now they're going to try to leverage them as much as possible. And I don't know. I, I you know, this is really going to be an interesting kind of bidding war because i, I want to see who gets involved and how you know the numbers that are going to be thrown around uh, because i don't know maybe and maybe it's just the economic environment I, places like youtube and, and amazon in terms of streaming haven't gotten as involved as i would have expected by this point and and maybe they never will um but i am i am curious to see how the deals will compare to previous deals how far it decides to go and of course i'm i'm curious to see you know which which network ends up kind of coming out on top i how do you feel so let's say nbc goes all in on this thing and says all right we're going to be the new big 10 network that's what we want how do you feel about that because i'm not i don't i'm not i don't love nbc's presentation of a lot of stuff and I don't think I'd be super, super okay with that. I think yeah, the, the thing that's kind of unfortunate about, about some of this, you know, ESPN for a long time was known as the gold standard in, in live sports production, right? They yeah. really did a great job and, and you could criticize and there's a lot of room to criticize 
their programming outside of live game production but by and large their live game production you know you get you get herbie and fowler on a ball game or you know in the old days herbie and musburger like mm-hmm. that was an extremely good production of college yeah. football I, I look at what fox has done with its live games you know particularly when you get gus johnson uh on the call i'm i'm a, I'm a stand for gus and joel clatt i think they're every bit as good and, and in some cases in some ways better than herbie and fowler and that's no shade to herbie i really like herbie as an analyst i think he's probably as good as it gets but herbie and and clatt are both you know that's one a and one b for me in terms of the the, the color analysts and and i i know not everybody loves uh gus johnson on the call so i'm willing to leave that one up as to a taste and preference thing sure. uh as to whether or not you prefer fowler or but production or, wise, or I, production wise, Fox yeah. is extremely good, you know, and, and right. they have, and, and you know, you know, you watch their production of NFL. The one thing you can say about Fox that is not a positive is the, they are the uh, purveyors of the uh, commercial kickoff commercial <laughs> phenomenon. Oh God, yeah. and, you know, every game on Fox uh, college football game is going to take, you know, four and a half hours. It feels right. like. So that, that part I don't love. Um yeah, in, in CBS, I think would be fine in terms of the the, the actual production value. Uh, if if some games ended up on CBS, NBC, I I don't know. You know, I hear your concerns, uh, and I I think they're reasonable. I'd be really curious to see how the Big Ten Network looks, and you know, whatever version two point is here oh, yeah. after the, the next deal, because you know, there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of brand equity there. What kind of games does the Big Ten Network have uh, when the new rights deal is done versus what do those tier one and tier two partners get? There's just a lot of moving parts. Do they try, as you as you mentioned, you know, Amazon and YouTube and so on? Does, I, I don't know that I see the Big Ten being an early adopter in either of those type of channels. I just think there's too much money on the table of the traditional broadcast type partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I I don't know. I'd, I'd be a little... I'd I'd be very, um, maybe it's cautious optimism. If, if on the other hand, NBC's throwing down a billion dollars a year, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, where you're looking at a $2.6 billion contract currently over six years. Mm-hmm. Now, Hey, Hey, there's a lot more money coming back to each member university of the big 10 conference when that deal gets inked. Right. I mean, that's, and- that's, that's real adult money. Yeah, it is. And that's, and, and ultimately that's, what's going to happen, right? Like whoever can give them the most money, they're bang for their buck. That's what they're going to go with, um, which is fine. And, and that's, you know, maybe that's not as great for fans, but I, I don't, I don't think there's really necessarily a bad option. Uh, if that makes sense, I don't think there's going to be a situation where you're, you're going to be watching, you know, Ohio state football and going like, what is this crap? Right. Like what is like, and I, I will say, however, I, with that caveat, I will also say that there are definitely a couple times this season where you're like, what they really, it feels like they cheaped out on the cameras and this is not, yes, you know, an optimal production. So maybe that's a concern, but that that's happened. That happened with, I think that happened with Fox that happened with, you know, ESPN in some games, their PAC 12 presentations were really bad. Um, so, you know, I think it's just one of those wait and see things where we have to hope that uh, it just doesn't get too, too screwy, but you know, it's, that's the, the risk of, uh, of shopping around, I guess. 
last um, bit of uh last bit of football uh contract related news here speaking of shopping around uh, gentleman jim harbaugh shopped around the national football league and couldn't find any buyers for his services and so he as we uh, reported last week will be staying uh, in ann arbor as the head coach of that team up north contract details came out uh this week five-year extension worth 7.3 million dollars per year as our resident expert on all things michigan uh is that more or less than you expected this is sort of back where he was before yeah his his pay cut last season you know michigan took a gamble uh, letting him stay last season, you know, there was a lot of call for him to hit the bricks because he had basically been, uh, Michigan's John Cooper and the gamble paid off. They beat Ohio state. They got to the playoff for the first time ever. And now he's basically back where he was. Is this, is this what you, what you would have expected? Or did you think he was going to become uh, a $10 million man like his <laughs> uh, counterpart at Michigan state? No, I mean, I think really all that Harbaugh wanted was the was the clout to, you know, basically say like, yeah, that's right. That's what I thought. Everybody, this is what I was worth. I knew that to your problem, you know, like you should have realized this. And I, I think really all for it, all he really wanted was to get back to where he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't expect him to you know, try to get much more than that because I don't think Michigan would have given him any more than that. Uh, but to get back to where he was, you know, prior to, uh, prior to, uh, the, the, I guess you, I don't want to call it demotion, but it really, it felt, yeah, I mean, it was a big pay cut, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he took a pay cut and it was, it was basically to say that, um, you know, you're not getting it done as a head coach. You need to find some other coaches to help you coach because you can't do it very well, apparently. Um, and so Harbaugh is kind of saying like, yeah, yeah, right. I'm, I'm still here. I'm still great pay me what you owe me and that's fine um it's interesting kind of the the penalties that he might you know incur for trying to leave early uh in his contract um i don't you know i i honestly think at this point he's probably just gonna and unless he gets fired he's gonna play out the remainder of his contract i don't i know that some people think well he might keep testing those waters i don't really see that at this point um because he had a, a pretty decent shot at Minnesota and with some other teams, you know, in Vegas and, and whatnot. And they kind of looked him up and down and said, nah, we're good. And I just don't see his cachet with the league getting any better than it was this past off season. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's, I think that'll be it for him. Uh, barring some, you know, big time Michigan come back and they establish something really amazing and which I don't particularly see. Uh, and I think he'll be happy with his, his current salary and sticking at that for the rest of his contract. We're going to talk about another Michigan man, uh, after the break, along with basketball in general, uh, we've got to talk a little bit about Ohio state hoops, but for our palate cleanser, if you will, between football and shooty hoops, it's time for ask us anything, my favorite part of the show and yours and, uh, a time for our weekly reminder that the dubcast is brought to you by the dry goods store at 11warriors.com, the emporium of all things for the fan of the finer things in life. You can find hats, t-shirts, stickers, barware, etc., etc. at drygoods.11warriors.com. Shop early, shop often, drygoods.11warriors.com. What do we have in the mailbag this week, my friend? 
Well, first of all, I want to remind you that you can uh, ask us questions by sending them to dubcast at 11warriors.com. And, you know, there's, you know, there's all kinds of things that you can ask us. We, we like pretty much everything here. Um, this, is, uh, <laughs> this is from Matt in Minneapolis, and he, he's got a uh, um, kind of a quick story here. So we can, we can get into that. I'll, 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 I'll go through this. Um, <laughs> so this is uh, about if you can't park it, don't drive it. um yeah as we talked about last week so he was in park city (laughs) park city utah uh uh as president obama's initial campaign was ramping up and there's a lady in her obnoxious giant sun hat who spent 30 minutes trying to parallel her one million dollar ferrari and ultimately ended up playing bumper cars on a spot i could park a 30 foot boat in uh she ended up leaving the poor car halfway up the curb uh Look, if you're going to buy, just as an aside, if you're going to have like a Ferrari or any kind of, you know, super fancy car, please, please learn how to like park it because otherwise it's, you're, you're just, you're just throwing money out the window. That makes no sense. Um, P.S. I, I think the backup, the truck and trailer around the field is a really good idea. P.P.S. They do make single cabs. They're labeled as work trucks. You do generally have to order them. I didn't know that. Uh, P.P.P.S. The front row of the truck should be able to see over the six foot snowbank at the end of my driveway. LOL question mark. Well, guess what? Because GMC is putting out some trucks. What is it? The Yukon? I can't remember what yeah, it was. Yeah, it was the picture you sent me was the Yukon. Good yeah. lord. It's its front end is literally about five feet eight inches off the ground. Like it is forget about mowing over kindergartners basically the average adult human in the united states would not stand a chance against some of these things i saw an infographic where it said like the the effective like blind distance in front of these trucks is like 30 feet plus like that's absolutely insane you can do a people can really move a lot in 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 a 30 feet like time span where somebody's driving a car that's just irresponsibly stupid um anyway well you uh, and i were looking i mean you and i were looking at a picture uh off the air of of a guy standing in front of the yukon which is yeah he's like six one right yeah yeah, and and the the you know where the hood ornament would be was basically like chin height on this guy right you know i mean it's it's yeah what are we doing and and, and as i alluded to i mean i or mentioned in the last show i drive a a chevy suburban so i'm i'm realize i drive but mine's literally 10 years old and you know it is not (laughs) chin height on me i'm uh you know six one six two depending on what convenience store i'm running out of and right uh i just can't imagine the hood on this that you know as it is now when i pop the hood you know it's what abdomen height you know a normal sure. height for working on a vehicle maybe you know uh <laughs> it just blew my mind when i looked at that picture and, so- I, and i'll say like we were driving down the interstate and um, we were coming back from a dog show over the weekend and mm-hmm. you know we're coming back uh oh i think we're on the turnpike in pennsylvania or something coming up from 68 uh, back toward washington pa or something along those lines and this truck comes barreling past us you know and he's he's it's it's a brand new gmc double cab uh and you can just and, and i had the immediate picture of the picture of the yukon you'd sent me because the front end of this thing looks like it's about six feet tall the nose mm-hmm. um and even worse 
you know, this guy had put a lift kit on it. And, and so we had the biggest, the biggest <laughs> right. wheels and tires. It wasn't like, sure. um, it was the biggest wheels and tires you could get on a normal vehicle. Like we're not talking oh, about God. Bigfoot, you know, it's not monster truck size tires. They're normal, but you can tell he had a two or three inch lift on this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just like, you know, come on. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, the line from, from the movie. I think it was, uh, it was probably from Shrek or something. I looked at my, I was like, you suppose he's compensating for something. Yeah. <laughs> we had a good well, I was okay. So in like the comments on that picture or whatever on Twitter, it was like, how are you, how do you change the wiper fluid? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> like, how do you, how do you, how do you physically do some of the things on the, on this truck? Like you, you need to, you need like a step ladder just to, just to access, you know, how do you change out a windshield wiper? <laughs> like it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It's just, I don't know. It, I mean, it's bad enough that a lot of these vehicles in general, and, and I think this is a real thing we talk about, you know, I work in the agriculture industry in my day job, and we talk about this a lot that, yeah. you know, modern farm equipment, the average farmer can't work on it anymore because of how tech centric right. it is, you know, and the, the computers and the sensors and uh, the, the data and, and all these kind of things. And, um, you know, there's a push out there that to have the, you know, it's called uh what is it called? Like right to repair legislation. Yeah, right to repair, that's, yeah. that's that's working its way through and, and not just, you know, a, a wide variety of, of technological things that you should be able to work on your own stuff uh, and not have to go back to the manufacturer to get it fixed necessarily. But when you look at vehicles, you know, if you've got to take out the engine block to replace the battery, uh, my wife had a vehicle one time, I think it was a Mazda and like the battery died and, you know, you would do like take apart part of the engine to yeah, get the battery out we're like, okay who designed this this seems like this seems like a minor miss here you know gang. uh i still like <laughs> to change slight my miscalculation I, I am not the handiest guy around the garage and i still like to change the bulbs in my headlights and tail lights sure, yeah. so i don't change my own my own oil but there are definitely there are definitely things that i still want to be able to fix as yeah. a car owner uh that i don't need to go and pay you know a 90 dollar an hour shop rate to get fixed yeah yeah exactly well and the headlights are a great example of that too because some of some cars have made it incredibly you know what i'm saying incredibly difficult to to do just simple tasks like that and you know i i used to drive a 2001 cavalier which terrible car <laughs> <laughs> it's serious just just trash car but the light and and as you know evidence of that the lights would go out all the time and I learned how to change them. And I was like, oh, okay. There's like a thing I know how to do. Um, but yeah, it's it's become nigh on impossible in, in some of these some of these vehicles. It's it's ridiculous. Um, actual question, actually, from Matt. He does have a question here. Uh, <laughs> as a rite of passions in uh, Scotland, Ireland, Iceland, and Wales, a that's an interesting group of places, a uh, young man must lift and carry a 326-pound approximate IDK with the official weight is stone. Uh, 10 paces to be considered a man now i've heard of the denny stones right? that's what i was going to say is that what that is yeah i don't know i don't know if that's what he's referring to or not but those are two stones and they're they're really awkward uh to carry and and i also know that um i think they're can they weigh considerably more than that um and they're also i don't think anybody's carrying them 10 paces i think they just basically pick them up because they're just they're so heavy but anyway his question is is this yeah, i don't a think you carry the denny stones i think you just pick them up they're, right that's what i'm saying yeah the denny stones are let's see what they are oh, da, 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 da. oh no no he did donald denny carried them barehanded across the width width of the 
the Potark Bridge, uh, 205, uh, a distance of 17 feet, basically, in, in 1860. Uh, well, did he? Sure, he did. Of course he yeah. did, you cynical bastard. Uh, <laughs> they have a combined weight of 733 pounds. Yeah, no way in hell. And, and by the way, the same. they're not the same. The larger stone is right. like 414, and the smaller ones. 318 and you've got these iron okay. rings so you're holding them by you know 200 200 year old iron rings yeah no that didn't yeah. happen so <laughs> like because i've seen people pick it up yeah but no, you're, you're not walking with that especially because they're so imbalanced that's that's yeah not the thing. the record for carrying the stones uh in in a farmer's walk style in other words what what we're talking about here if you were going to carry them across the bridge uh, Lauren Shalele carried the stones 14 feet, 10 inches, wow. uh, in Still August of 2021, it. Brian Shaw, world strong, four time world strongest man carried them a distance of 11 feet, six and a half inches. So, so in other words, a man six foot, 10 inches tall, who weighs 460 pounds, yeah. uh, and was four times the world's strongest man was only able to carry them 11 and a half feet. Yeah. Uh, so you and I. May we got a shot. Get him across the bridge. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this is okay. So this is specifically referring to a 326 pounds. I don't know why. I don't know why Matt chose that that weight. But anyway, uh, 10 base to be considered a man. Is this a reasonable thing to ask of a 15 year old male in today's culture, or has the blood gone thin? Uh, he says he's Irish on his mother's side, and my uncle made me do this before letting me ride his motorcycle. Oh, years nice. Ago. Okay. All right. Uh, my neighbor is a straight up Viking, six foot four, built like a house, etc., and is having his boys do this next weekend. Uh, no, <laughs> I guess that's a weird rite of passage. I don't know. I, I mean, granted, I feel like all rites of passage are weird to a certain extent. Um, and, and that's kind of what makes them a rite of passage, you know, right. It's, it's something that you have to kind of be, you know, you know, born into or, or raised into, I guess. Um, I think there are probably other ways of displaying your manhood than picking up a big rock and then carrying it for 10, 10 paces. Um, but on the other hand, it's also pretty badass. And so if that's, if that's a cool thing that a 15 year old wants to, to try to work towards and do, I, I, you know, I don't think that's a terrible thing. I don't think it makes them less of a man if they can't, because that's a hell of a large rock. And I don't think it means that they failed at anything they want to set and do. That's, that's a cool, that's a cool thing to try to do. I don't know. It's really, uh, I think very situational or contextual yeah if the question is if it, is it reasonable no it's it's completely unreasonable that's insane you should not expect that of people but if it's something somebody wants to do then go for it i i love the part of the story you know if, if the story was you know that the wee laddie um you know wanted to accomplish that and he's like set his cap to i'm going to do this because you know <laughs> it'll make a man out of me then you know what I, but you bet go for it go mm -hmm. by, by the same token it could be you know, I'm, I'm going to, uh, you know, whatever, some other feat of doesn't even have to be strength. Right. Could it be sure. some feet of it? It's whatever, whatever, whatever that person I grew up on the farm. Right. So we were outside carrying heavy stuff all the time. You know, you bailed hay all summer. Um, but like dad never had a weight bench. Dad's one of the strongest people I know, but yeah. it, it never had a weight bench at the house. 
Um, it was never like, that was never something, all of your heavy lifting was done in practical settings. It was, it was hay bales and five gallon buckets of water, you know? So I was doing sure. farmer's walk. We didn't, we didn't call them farmer's walks. We were just actually farmer's walking. <laughs> it's just a walk. What I, are I mean, you, I, <laughs> I, I you're a farmer, just, it's just walking. That's yeah. It's, it's just walk. Right. So, but you know, you think about, so five gallon bucket of water, if, uh, uh, water weighs eight pounds a gallon. So I was basically carrying 40 pounds in each hand, um, yeah. you know, from probably 200 yards every day. Uh, yeah. because we, the way we, <laughs> this is so funny when I started, uh, in 4-H, we had our we had our 4-H calves down at the farm, and we would get water. There wasn't there wasn't um, a, a spigot in the barn. Um, we actually walked down to the big watering trough. We have we had a, all our watering trough on the farm were um, filled from a natural spring. So you'd go down and you would literally dip the bucket into the into the trough, mm-hmm. fill it up, and then you had to carry it back up the hill to the barn where the calves were. So, I mean, that was every bit of 200 yards. Um, you know, so I developed that ability, I guess, from a young age, because dad's like, go down and get the water. And so you had to go down and carry these two buckets of water. So now, like if I were doing, if we were going to go out, you know, do farmers carry at the gym, I'm pretty good at that, but yeah. it's because I've been carrying five gallon buckets of water and hay bales, you know, not so much now in my adult life, but from a young age, and, and by the way, if you've never been on the back of a hay wagon, um, a bale of hay would <laughs> be pretty heavy no, uh, sure, yeah. and they're not always depending on how well your baler's tune. They may not be that uniform. So you right. might get some that are a little extra heavy. Uh, so all that to say, you know, there is, I think something cathartic. And I say, this as a guy, um, you know, trying to think about manly man things. There is something very cathartic about picking up heavy things. My favorite. <laughs> yeah. My favorite of the lifts in the gym is the deadlift. Yeah. There's just something very primal about putting several hundred pounds of iron on a bar and picking that crap up. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's a super simple lift. It is not, I mean, yes, there's a technical component to it, but like, I know guys get their rocks off as young teenagers with the bench press that it's always, you know, the, the bench press is, is the, that's where you prove your metal in, oh, the, it's cool, right? in the high I mean, school rate. But for my money, I, you know, I want to, I want to see, can you, can you pick up 400, 500, 600 pounds off the floor? Sure. Like that's, that's strong. Well, I'll say that my, uh, rite of passage as a 15 year old that I think my family demanded of me was to stop failing, uh, like classes in high school. No. <laughs> <laughs> like if I could avoid, if I could avoid getting D's and F's, yeah. then yes, that was, that was my, that was my Denny stone was uh freshman year biology. How about that? That's, that's, that's what I was trying to conquer. I'd have a hard uh, time thinking of like what my actual rite of passage was. It, it was yeah. I, I mean, you know, we talked about getting a job. I don't know. I mean, well, it, it so that was definitely, I mean, that was the closest thing I could think of. And dad's rule there. It wasn't even really a rite of passage. It was like 16 was approaching. I was doing driver's ad. I wanted to buy a car and dad's rules were that dad would put us on the family insurance. So dad would pay for insurance. But yeah. if I, if I was going to, you know, the money for the car itself and gas money, that was my doing. So, so if you wanted a right. car and to be able to drive it somewhere, you're going to have to have a job because you're going to have to pay for it. Dad's not paying the payment. Dad's not paying the fuel. Dad had a rule, you know, that regardless of what we were spending on the vehicle, whether it was $200 or $2,000, you would take out uh, a loan on it because you needed to start building credit, which, you yeah. know, I'm very thankful to dad for, 
for insisting on that because I could have just paid cash for the vehicle. I didn't buy a very expensive vehicle. Um, but like that was smart financially to do that. But right. the more important thing was, yeah, I had to go get a job. And so I've just always worked. I worked through college, you know, I've had a job ever since. So maybe that was the rite of passage. And I know not everybody is, uh, is raised that way. And, and I, I hope we'll have the, the good sense to do that with our daughter when she is of age too. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, every, everybody, every family, every culture is going to have a different kind of, you know, they're going to have a different rite of passage and, and what that means. And, and it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be about, you know, lifting giant stones or rocks. Um, but you know what, that's, if that's what it is for them, then that's awesome. And if it's anything for anybody else, I think that's cool too. Uh, I just, as long as it's something that, you know, people are working towards and it's healthy and fun. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, thanks for sending that question in, Matt. That was excellent. I appreciate that. All right. Good questions this week, friends, uh, and, and reminder to send us new ones. So let us, uh, let us move into the, the last thing we want to talk about, and that is shooty hoops. We're going to talk about uh, a couple different things, starting with Michigan man, Juwan Howard. The one of the biggest stories of the weekend was Juwan Howard getting into uh, fisticuffs with a Wisconsin staffer after the Badgers took Michigan to the proverbial woodshed. It all started mm. late in the game. You have, let me set the scene. If you weren't watching, uh, Michigan is going to lose the game. It is very clear. Uh, and Badger head coach Greg Gard had basically put in the backups. Um, the, the Badgers are going to win. They get the starters out. And Juwan Howard and Michigan are still running a full court press on the backups, right. down by double digits with under a minute to play. Not a great look, but whatevs, yo. When all yeah. of a sudden, um, because his backups are, are going to have a 10-second violation, uh, guard calls a timeout, coaches yep. his guys, hey, here's how you need to get past this press, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Juwan Howard, as the meme says, took that personally. Uh, and in the handshake line after the game, uh, gets into words with guard that then leads to a basically bench-clearing brawl uh, Howard smacks a Wisconsin, don't call it a punch. It was open-handed, but he smacks this guy in the head. Yeah. But he like and, swats at him. Yeah. And, and then of course, several players throw punches afterward, big team conference in Michigan agreed to suspend Howard for five games. He's fined, I think $40,000 guard gets a token $10,000 fine because he apparently shouldn't have touched Juwan Howard in the first place. Sure. Uh, never mind the fact that, you know, it was a basic handshake, just like, every other handshake the two of ever there's actually a good little super cut video out there on social yeah media. i mean he he kind of like grabbed his elbow a little bit it's but it's, here, it's the linda it's the lyndon johnson handshake right yeah, so and, like, and i want to be real though like we we can sit here and dissect like all the minutiae of you know you can you can zap rooter this thing and look at it frame by frame like oh we just started what these are both of these guys but really you know john howard specifically need to understand you're not players anymore okay like you have all this heat and emotion on the court that's great you're the head coach at a certain point you got to let that go and especially if you just lost the game sorry you don't you're not the dude to be like oh i gotta offend these guys you know and show them how much like that's that's not your role your role is to understand that the game's over and to try to learn and move on to the next game um, I don't think either of these guys are completely like, you know, free and clear. Although I, I think Howard, you know, shares probably the, the bulk of the blame here, but to me, it seems like a lot of petty stuff 
that was building up. They wanted to be a little snippy at the end and Howard took it way too far. And in and, and both cases here, I, I just, I don't know. It, it's really annoying to me that we have to like dissect all of this when it never should have gotten nearly that far. And then again, Howard having to be held back and going back into it and saying, you know, and, you know, swatting at a guy, it's just embarrassing. Well, and, and, and here's and here's the thing that really I think bears discussion because because you're right. There are a lot of people out there. Uh, Rex Chapman on Twitter was driving me nuts this weekend because he's you know basically the biggest Howard apologist out there. Yeah. Like, oh, Garden sh- Garden shouldn't have put his hand on on Juwan to begin with. I'm like, you got to grow the heck up, you know. Yeah. If, if the the Lyndon Johnson handshake, you know, right hand shaking, left hand on the elbow, like that's the that's the classic uh, you know, power broker move. If you can't handle that as a 50-year-old multimillionaire head coach right. of one of the blue blood type programs out there, you don't have any business in that role. And so this is this is what I think really uh, I don't want to say bothers me, but I, I sit there and said, you know, the Woody Hayes standard says that if your head coach hits another combatant on the field, mm-hmm. you get your ass tossed into the soup line. Right. And, and that, that didn't happen here. It's five games extension. It's a $40,000 fine. Howard that's couch cushion money to Juwan Howard. Uh, the fine is, is in essence, meaningless, oh, you yeah, know, that yeah, not whatever. coaching the rest of the regular season. That's not meaningless, but, but was this a fireable offense for you, particularly when you add the context of his comment, he got into a fight last season with Mike, Mark Turgeon at uh, Maryland and basically told him, I will kill you. Um, yeah. You know, Which, he's a in of itself. That's what I'm talking about though, man. Like you, you've got, you're not, he's a, a player hunter. anymore. You're not a player. You're a coach. And this behavior is just, it's silly. It's stupid and childish. Was it fireably silly? I don't think so. I, I think again really child i think he should be done for the rest of the season i don't mean regular season i mean postseason everything he should not be coaching until the next year um but i don't i mean i think that firing i can i can see a case for it i just think given that everybody was heated and whatnot and i don't i don't think that it was solely on howard that all this happened but I don't know. I would say he shouldn't, he should not be on the bench um, for basically the remainder of the games that Michigan plays in, in 2022 for this season. Like no matter what that looks like, um, but firing, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. I, I was very much of the mind and I, and I typically think in the social media era, we overreact to things quite a lot uh, and, and we get caught up on, you know, it's the pearl clutching and, you know, yeah. you, the, the firing is the the only way to to solve that, and, and usually I think that's dumb. In this case, um, I you know I think if you're Michigan, you've got to hold your head coach to a pretty high standard. If you're Ohio State, if you're you know I would have expected if Chris Holtman pulled that stunt, I would I would have expected Gene Smith to have his button a sling. Um, yeah. and and I you know, we talked about this, um, with the Jim Harbaugh <laughs> fooling around with the NFL situation. Ohio state doesn't tolerate that stuff. Sure. Uh, Michigan tolerated with Jim Harbaugh. They're tolerating with jo- Juwan Howard. I-, I think it's indicative of cultural rot-, rot in that organization. Um, and I have a lot less respect for Ward Manuel as an athletic director, uh, today than I did six months ago because of how these two multimillionaire adult, uh, alleged adult, head coaches <laughs> have walked all over him and that institution. I, now, I think I, it's, I think it's, and ridiculous. I think that's a fair take. I, I actually do. I, again, I don't, I don't think that this 
alone quite rises to the level of of a uh, a firing but i i can definitely see that perspective and um i can also absolutely see that like you know <laughs> their their ad has gotten played and in in the two most high profile sports and this is a situation where it's like you know people were, were ragging on gene smith basically for being like well i, I don't you know i go can't do anything about it uh, that feels like a similar situation with Ward. So I I can totally see that. And um, if you're Michigan, you do want to exert, I think, a certain level of control over what's going on with the athletic department. And for what's really funny to me is that I've seen a lot of Michigan fans online talking about like, oh, man, if you know, we don't fire him, then we lose our biggest ammo against Ohio State and saying Woody Hayes, you know, punched a guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, really, that's what you're concerned about? That. <laughs> Woody Hayes did that literally like what, like 45 years ago, something like that. I, you know, maybe, maybe you should be focusing on the fact that your head coach swung at a dude, right. Instead of really, you know, worrying about whether or not you can play tit for tat for really stupid things that nobody cares about anymore. Um, that, that is such a Michigan man reaction to this situation. Like, oh man, we'd lose our clout. We'd lose our ability to, you know, lord our inherent moral superiority over people, as opposed to rectifying the problem that's in front of us. Um, that's sad and dumb. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I just think that, uh, I, I agree that, you know, a five game suspension in any event just to the end of the regular season is is pathetic and not not what is warranted here talking about basketball a little closer to home i want to preview next week on the program we're going to have uh 11 warriors hoops aficionado chris louderback uh, on the show with us uh looking forward to breaking down ohio state's chances that it heads into the postseason with chris so be here next week for us same bat time same bat channel ohio state uh got to finally play iowa in in the makeup game from uh the previous weather slash covet i think i think that was the weather postponement not the COVID postponement uh it did not go well for the home team ohio state snapped its 11 game home winning streak the team had heretofore been undefeated in the schottenstein center this basketball season uh that was an ugly one johnny i yeah it was bad and i watched it i I don't know why i watched it that was dumb i shouldn't have done that you know i was like maybe i'll get better and then it didn't yeah it was stupid i was like you know maybe uh maybe we'll get better maybe maybe a little pull a, a little comeback here no they didn't they they were sluggish from start to finish um they just looked like trash and here's the thing right so now we've got a team that's playing indiana as we speak they're wrapping that game up uh they were up 11 uh, about halfway through the second half blew that lead managed to get it into overtime and now it looks like with about 30 seconds or so ba- uh left that they're about to close the sucker out so that to me <laughs> this was a team that needed to show some resilience especially after that iowa game where they just looked trash um this is uh this is i think this the way they've closed this out here um is a very much needed result i think for chris Holden's yeah because squad. they were on the cusp of totally blowing it in regulation yes uh, and know, they look bad they that, didn't score for like six straight minutes i think it was a 14 to two run um yeah. something there before malachi brandon and ej liddell uh got the crap together and brandon and, by the way and, holy crap that yeah. kid is just a real revelation i mean it's unbelievable what he's doing uh, scored something like 27 points, nine to 13 from the field. 
uh, eight of eight from the line. You got to love that. And in a game where EJ Liddell uh, was not having his, his best no. game, um, particularly in terms of shooting, I think he was six of 15, only one of five from behind the arc, three or four at the stripe. That's fine. Um, you know, seven rebounds, a couple of assists. So, you know, 16 points still from, from uh, the guy who is the straw that stirs the drink, but Branham, yeah, Branham pay, playing like a lottery pick as much as it, pains me to say that because you'd like to see him around for a minute but he's uh mm. he's really a guy they they needed and looking at the stretch here you know we talked about it the great thing about the way this end of season shaped up for um for ohio state was getting to play these these late games at home these last games of the season uh in the schottenstein center because they played so well there relative to the road and, and getting to close this one out right. certainly a good one so we'll look forward to having chris on the program next week until then i'm andy I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast.